0: This year, this is my year, our year. Can you feel it? More motivation, motivation, motivation. Synergy, synergy, synergy. Adventure, adventure, adventure. Responsibility, responsibility, responsibility. Intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. Achievement, achievement. Advancement. 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 Determination. 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 Focus. 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 This is my year. Honey, so? What do you think? Motivation. Integrity. Determination. Synergy. Come on, honey. You're not even listening to me. I mean, I have a poster and everything this time. This is perfect. I mean business. Jack. This is my year. I promise. Man, I have such a connection. Um to that video uh boy so happy new year happy new decade all that stuff really really happy that you're here seeing middle schoolers have fun and not having to listen to me talk y'all have fun in there um uh, so every year i don't know if you do it or not this is kind of the time where there's kind of a reset a new start Mm -hmm. so you get to make your new year's resolutions new decade resolutions whatever those things are and i don't know if you make the resolutions um i do i do a whole bunch um Typically, typically, and this is generalized, um, maybe you don't, this isn't you, but for the most part, most people that do New Year's resolutions do them in like, they're kind of in one of two camps, right? Um, You've got uh, the dreamers, right? Uh, The dreamers, I, I fall in that category, and if you're a dreamer, you have big dreams every New Year, and you're a little bit over the top. Right, You'd be the one to decide that this is the year you're going to lose weight and get fit. So you bought all the exercise equipment, right? Spent thousands of dollars on things that you're going to put on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace in a month and tell them they have to come get it out of your basement. They can do it for free, right? So you spend thousands of dollars. You buy all the food. You get all the supplies because you think this is the year you drink, right? For example, right now, uh, we do a couple podcasts around here. Uh, a Christian Life Center. One's called Overtime. We do it every Tuesday, but you can pick it up. You can list to it online. You can watch it. All sorts of stuff throughout the week. And basically, it's just uh, to cover the things that don't make the sermon, and also to be able to uh, kind of answer any questions you have. So back to your bulletin, got any questions, even about this today, you can write them on Tuesday. Pastor Ben and I will get together, and we'll have kind of an hour conversation up in our studio, and film and all that kind of stuff. So that, that's one podcast. Megan uh, leads worship here, and uh, Carrie, who's our outreach uh, coordinator here, they do something a couple times a month called Bravely Honest. Um, and uh, it's a, kind of a, a podcast for females. I mean, if you're male, it would be worth your time as well. So we do a couple podcasts. And my daughter, Amelia, she's um, seven. She really likes the idea of podcasts. We listen to a co- po- couple podcasts. One of them that she's listened to is something called Rebel Girls. It's these girls that are really courageous, really cool. And so one of her plans for 2020 would be that she wants to host her own podcast. So I've just kind of leaned in to her New Year's resolution. I'm going, we'll do that together. She's going to call it Take Heart, right? It means she wants people to have courage. And so she's going to find stories in the book she's reading about people who take courage and just wants to talk about it. So I've just leaned in fully. And so over Christmas... We built a, another got a studio here at the church. We built a studio at our house. I'm talking about, I mean, I put up a wall, got sound paneling. I mean, did the whole thing. We're talking about way too much time, way too much money, and way too much energy. The reason being is I'm a dreamer, right? If we're going to have a New Year's resolution, we're going to do everything on the front end. You know, some of you are that way. Others of you are, I won't call you a pessimist because you're not a pessimist. You're a realist, right? So we'll use that, that category. It's not a pessimist, really. It's, it's a realist, right? You're, you're a little bit more cautious with your New Year's resolutions, right? Because you know that you only have 24 hours in a day. And you look at 2019, you're saying, well, I already didn't get enough sleep, didn't have enough time. Why in the world would I add another thing to my schedule and my calendar and my day? And so you're just a realist who goes, I don't really think it's even possible to add more to it, right? Right? And so dreamers, they are really, really, really excited about the possibility of something until they lose focus and move on to the next thing, right? And the realist, you just have enough life around you to go, really seems silly that I would make a New Year's resolution, <laughs> particularly you wouldn't say it out loud, just in case, right? Don't want the accountability that, because deep down you're wondering if it's possible at all, right? So in both categories, you've got people who jump in, full steam ahead, and they live in this category, wow! Right? Then you get got realists, I love, love you guys. Um, you're, you're not, your response is never, wow! It's always, how? Right? Which is such a buzzkill for us dreamers, right? And here's what's really interesting in this weird move of the universe, I would say God ordains and directs this. Um, somehow, realists and dreamers, they kind of pair up a lot. So you know which one you are, you know what your husband is, you know what your wife is, and so you get got these dreamers, you get got these realists, and here we are in a new year, and I would offer to you that I think you should have a new year's resolution, new decade resolution. And here's what I think it should be. I think you should... Focus and set forth and look forward to this being the best year ever for you the best decade ever for you and you're going I'm oh, not sure Dreamer's like yes right and the, the realists are like yeah you think that now but then you're going to see that you know, uh, you know I seen on TV ad and you're going to move to the copper pot because that's going to be the next thing and you don't care anymore about the decade right <laughs> and so I would say you <laughs> should focus you should believe that this could quite possibly be your year Now, here's what we know about, I think what we could say, say, I don't know if we know it, about New Year's resolutions, but one of the things I would say that uh, determines whether or not you're going to follow a New Year's resolution or anything in life, right? It all has one word, okay? And there's a question you should ask that would help you uh, with this New Year's resolution. I'm going to give you one question, and then I'm going to tell you that's the wrong question, and then I'm going to give you the right question, and then we're going to kind of work backwards to say, how do we make that question happen, you ready? So this is the word that determines whether or not. New Year's resolutions happen for you or any goals you have. And here's the word. You ready? I'm not writing it. You, you all talk about my messy handwriting. It hurts my feelings. And so I just bring it up for you, okay? There you go. There you go. Sometimes we read the comment cards. Uh, sometimes they're not very nice, by the way. Um, possibility. Possibility, okay? Here's, here's what I mean by that. The reason you still buy lottery tickets, if you do, is because somewhere deep in your brain... You actually think it's possible that you might win. If you didn't think it was possible at all, if you thought there was a zero percent chance, you and I spend the dollar, the five dollars, the ten dollars, whatever it is. When the when the, the lotto gets really really big, the kind of the jackpots, you know, the um the, the number of sales increases, and in many people throughout our globe, throughout our community, in, in our church, no, no judgment at all. Um, they you think, and man, what would I do with that money? Pay off mortgage, buy the house at the beach, you know, <laughs> quit your job, whatever it is. What you've done there is you've already started thinking about the possibility of what would happen there. Okay? So with anything that you're doing, the only reason you continue to do it is because you think there's still a positive outcome that's still possible. So everything about New Year's resolutions has to do with possibility, right? That's where the realists are going... Yeah, I don't know that I should even set my mind to that because I don't know that it's actually possible. And the dreamer's are going, yes, it's possible. Yes, it's possible. But then they move on to a different possibility and a different reality and a different hope. So in everything in our life, if we're going to have any desires or plans, uh, anything at all, right? Some of you are this right now. You had a rough go in your marriage and you've kind of hit the reset button and you think that maybe you can restore this thing, right? Many of you are in this room, that's just part of your life. And so right now, one spouse hasn't been behaving the way that the other spouse would like, whatever that is, right? And perhaps maybe they really haven't been. So now all of a sudden, one of the spouses is really, really focused on doing the right thing, right? They're helping doing the dishes, they're saying nice things, whatever those things are, right? And you know why they're doing that? Because, because they still think it's possible that the marriage could get better, They still think it's possible that there's hope. Guess what happens when they no longer think that's possible? That behavior changes. Right? Because there's just something about possibility. Right? If you think about your job, you work really, really, really hard if you think there's a promotion coming up. You want to get noticed. You want the boss to notice. And you're working really, really hard. Because you think it's possible that you'll get the raise. You'll get the promotion. But then, the raise doesn't happen. The promotion doesn't happen. It's no longer possible. And what happens to the way that you Behave at work. Right? Many of you, when you jump into whatever the workforce you're in, right, whether you're a teacher or, you know, law enforcement person, whatever category you're in, and you walk in thinking that you really, really could affect change, that you could transform the world, and you woke up every single day thinking, this is going to be great. We're going to actually make an impact. We're going to actually do something, right? And then, weeks, months, years in, you no longer think that you're going to affect change, so you... Your motivation changes to, I'm just going to get through the day. Because I don't think any real change is possible. Even this uh, past uh, Christmas, you thought, this is going to be a year we're finally going to get all that stuff resolved with my in-laws, my mother, or whatever that is. And you went in to the Christmas holidays, to the dinner, whatever it is, with this real hope of possibility that this is going to be the year. And then you walk in the door and they immediately notice your weight say something about your hair, talk about your kids' behavior, right? whatever that is, and immediately you go, mm, not possible. Then all of a sudden your outlook on that entire event, that entire party, it just changes right? because possibility really, really matters. And what what um, folks would tell you, motivational speakers, TED Talks, whatever it is, would say, what you've got to continue to remind yourself is that there are really possible things that you can achieve this year. And so they would tell you to ask this question, what do you think is possible this year? <coughs> Not like even likely, not even in reality, but what is just possible, right? Now I just would say this, um, in your marriage, like, it'd be really neat for you and your spouse to sit down and go, hey, what do you think is possible this year? How about this, if you, if you lead an organization, uh, have a team members at work, uh, just for, I don't know, 30 minutes, maybe an hour, could you suspend reality? Sit with a whiteboard, sit around the table, or sit with your kids or whatever, it is, and talk about what's possible, not what's real, not what can happen. And now, realists, this is where you got to guard against pessimism. Hey, uh, dreamers, this is where you got to stay focused, right? But in this, to actually spend a little time and just talk about what's possible, not real, but possible, and watch people come alive, watch people's energy levels come up, and all those different things. But the realists in the room even dreamers in this room you go well that sounds like a lot of fun but isn't that kind of a waste of energy (laughs) if it's possible but probably not likely like some of you are already hedging and running the numbers and go well if it's less than a 5% chance why would I put that much energy into that and you have a lot of life in you a lot of us do so we really do want to guard ourselves against possibility because we've been let down a whole bunch been let down a whole bunch many of you are possible that your marriage will not get better Many of you believe that it's not possible, right? Many of you do not think that you can ever make a real impact in your workplace. Or that there is nothing that's ever going to change for your kids. Or that addiction that you cannot break. that it's just not possible. So, that's why I'd say that's probably the wrong question. Because uh, life experiences beat us up a little bit there. And fairly so. It seems really unlikely. So, here's the better question. Ready for this? What do you think God... Thinks it's possible for you this year, this decade. Awesome. Now, here's one last point that I'll just make before we get into this talk about God, because some of you are going, ah, there it is, the God thing. I'm not sure I feel about that. Here's what I'll tell you. Here's what we know. This is, uh, you should write this down. You don't really have to, but uh, really, in fact, it'll make a lot of sense. You don't have to write it down. But um, here, here's what it is. It says is profound. You ready? If you don't think it's possible, 100% correct. If you look at any situation and you do not think it's possible, then you are 100% correct every single time. 100% correct every single time. So we go, oh, "That's not possible." Yep, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's not possible. Right? You can even look at this with um, Samuel Langley, uh, Wright Brothers. You know, all of us have been on a plane or had relatives on a plane, and really, they're. <laughs> these guys, these brothers, they love watching birds, which seems like a waste of time and energy to me, by the way. so I mean, if you are bird watchers, that's great, happy for you. Just, we're not going to hang out that much watching birds. Just going to tell you that, right? It's not. Seems like a waste of time. They all look exactly the same, right? So the Wright brothers love birds, and they built bicycles. And they had this crazy thought that it could be possible that they could do the same things that they perform with bicycles, with kind of the way that they've seen how birds fly and create some way by which People could fly. That's it. That's the only. They didn't have any education in this. They didn't have any experience in this. You know what they just thought? It's possible. Now, on the other side, the U.S. government literally paid a guy, Samuel Langley, fifty thousand dollars. By the way, the Wright brothers spent less than a thousand bucks to get an airplane in the air. To actually go and make something that people could fly, and finally, his conclusion is not possible. So what's the difference there? Just possibility. One finally goes, it's not possible. And guess what? He was, he was right for himself. The right brothers go, no, it is possible. And we all are affected and experience that decision for them. So uh, as you think about it, if you think something's not possible, you are correct. And so what I would say ultimately is the wrong question isn't what do you think is possible this year, this decade. But the better question is what does God think is possible for you this year? And you go, yep, that's not possible because there's no God. And I go, yep, that's probably right for you right now. But what if it were? Like, what if there really was a creator of the universe who spoke the world into existence? Which, by the way, is our best plausible and possible explanation to how we all got here? Nothing. Something the most possible way for which that to happen would be that there's something outside of all creation that created and developed and designed that. And he is inexplainable, unexplainable, and that just blows our minds. We go, no, 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 we need to be able to explain it. I'm like, that's a really tiny God. But if that God's bigger than that, and we can't explain him, what if that God looked into your life and thought there was really, really pretty significant things possible for you? And here's that thing. The fact that you're breathing and living and have a pulse right here in this room right now, I would just argue wholeheartedly. That God thinks something really good's possible for you this year. Because not, why would you be here? What a waste of space and energy and time and the God of the universe has numbered our days. The fact that we are here in this moment means means that He thinks this could be a really, really good year for him. It could be possible. Now, here's the problem with that, and this, in some ways it's going to be really exciting, because you go, well, if God's in it, and He thinks it's possible, then that means, then perhaps, that deep longing I have, which we all have, to do something significant in our life is really possible. There it is. I told you, I'm not writing on the board. You're welcome, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's significant, right? Because all of us, all of us, this is what I know about you, I know about me, I know about all people, is you all want to do something significant. Not even if you don't believe in God don't believe in that stuff. You would like for your life to matter. You would like at the end of all your days at a funeral, people would talk about your legacy, how your life did something, how you made an impact, right? That's just innate, deep down within us, by the way. Most times it's when we don't think that's possible that we lose hope, right? Or when we don't think it's possible to actually have a meaningful, important life where people do so many infamous things, right? Because deep down, all of us, all of us, we. Do some significant you' It's really neat. If God looks in our life, and we ask the question, "What does God think is possible?" The reality is, anything that God thinks is possible is going to be really significant. <coughs> So we all have that desire. Now, here's the problem with that desire. Um, right before Jesus uh, dies, it's okay, he comes back to life, so we don't have to focus too much on that part. Uh, he has this conversation uh, with his disciples, and he tells them how to experience significant things. And he says, oh, remain in me, abide in me, meaning rest in me, trust in me, hit yourself to me, right? Connect yourself to me. And he says, remain in me, abide in me. And then he says something really, really profound. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So the problem with going, hey, really, really good news. God wants to do something significant in your life. Here's the bad news. You're not going to do it on your own. Which leads to the other thing I know about all you. And this is where it gets really complicated for us. It's why we all want to do something really significant. You know what else? We all really want a stress-free life. Right? And this is what runs in. we, We get excited. You get out of college. Get married. And you have all these big dreams about how your life's going to be significant. Filled with possibility. And then you run into these things going, those things are really hard. Right? Those kids are really bad. Right? That doesn't pay enough. I don't have enough time for that. That requires a lot of energy. So here's what we do in our work. We go, while I really want to do something significant. We've all been here. I've been here. So, uh, we've been here. Right? And you move from, I really want my life to matter to, you know what? <laughs> I just want to go to work, punch a time clock, collect my pay and go home. And just get in bed and go to sleep. And then get up and do the same thing over and over and over again. So we have this <clears throat> pendulum swinging from We want to matter. We want to do something. And most of us are here at the beginning of 2020. But we're all suspicious. At some point in the next month, week, two weeks, two months, two years, we're going to go, Nope. You know what I really want. I want to slowly live a protected and comfortable life. So that at some point, long time, way out in the future, you can arrive safely and comfortably at Death. Right, So all of you have made the decision to pull back at work. Made the decision to not invest as much in your family. Made the decision to find the easier job because it pays well and it's comfortable. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. This is what I know about us. When you get here, when you find that place that's just going, ah, finally it's so easy. You're not satisfied. You're not thrilled with it. You know what you start doing then? You start imagining how you could take your time and energy to do What? do something significant. So we have this pattern going back and forth, going, I want to really matter. 2020, here we are, new decade, we really want to matter. But we have this knowing about us, at some point we're going to pull back and go, that's just way too much work. Particularly when we go, this is not about what you think is possible, this is what God thinks is possible. What God (laughs) thinks is possible for you is far beyond your wildest imagination, and far beyond your ability and capability. You know why? Because he doesn't want you to take credit for it. So the very things you're called to do, the very significance you're meant to make in this world, is far beyond your capabilities, which means, if we try to chase after God in this significant life, there are going to be times where you're going to be filled with stress and anxiety. And when you get there, you're going to go, yep, see, I'm not in. I like the possibility, I like the dreams, but I didn't know my own pain and work and effort that would take. (coughs) By the way, this is not a New story. This is what I love about the Bible because it basically is just kind of telling us our story over and over again. In fact, what God does in the scriptures, you've got the Old Testament, New Testament. He, um, he kind of shows us this case study with a, a real people group. And basically, if you don't know anything about the Bible, God kind of starts the whole thing in motion by speaking it into existence. He's not a deistic God. He's not like a clockmaker who spins it and just stays out of the way. He is um, intimately and deeply involved with his... His creation, Because the reason he created us was, one, so we could marvel at how beautiful and great he was. But the other part is because he actually built us to be in a relationship with him. Same reason you had kids, right? And so God creates at the pinnacle of his creation human beings. And the ultimate reason is for us to be with God and know God and be close to God. Now, um, for a little while that sounds really good, but one of the things that happens is these folks, uh, Adam and Eve, go, oh, God, we don't know that we like your plan. We're suspicious of your plan. We're, we think it's not possible that your plan's best for us. And so what happens is they kind of choose your own plan. That's called sin. And if you read through the first ten chapters of Genesis, it's over and over again this cycle of people basically saying to God, we like our plan better than yours. And being led astray, walking astray, and then living in deep pain and suffering. And then finally, you get to Genesis chapter 11. There's this new guy named Abram. He's a pagan that hadn't known God, hadn't been interested in God. Yet he's trying to figure out life, wanting to do something significant. And God comes and tells Abram that he's going to be blessed, going to be the father of many nations, and he's going to do something really significant. And he says, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless other people. So your life is going to matter. And then he says something that's so important. He tells Abram that no matter what happens, He's going to fulfill his promise. It's called a covenant. It's a promise without stipulations. So God says he's going to bless his people. The people who know him. The people who trust him. The people who acknowledge him. He's going to bless them. So they can be a blessing to the whole world. And then Abraham's going to have a kid named Isaac. And Isaac's going to have a kid named Jacob. And Jacob is going to be kind of the biggest case study of this. Because Jacob's going to have these 12 sons. And these 12 sons, are they're all going you know, to flourish, and life's going to be good, and they're going to continue to grow and get bigger and bigger, and the family's going to get so big, it's going to become its own nation. And Jacob's name is going to be named changed to Israel. It means someone who wrestles with God, someone who struggles with this battle, going, I want my life to matter, and yet I don't want to feel the stress of it. Right? And so he's going to get this name Israel, and Israel's going to have these 12 kids, and it's going to become a nation. And basically, if you read through the scriptures, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's all about this nation that God has a really good plan for. His people, which by the way, you're His people. That He has a plan for. Right? And you're going to see this ebb and flow between we want to really matter, we want our life to matter, we want to trust you, and God, we just want comfort and security and just to be fed. Right? So you're going to see this pattern all throughout Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And while this is happening, God continues to tell these people, Hey, hey, hey. There's still a big land of possibility. And he's going to point to this land that he's going to call the promised land. Filled with hope and all sorts of possibilities. And it's going to be good. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, and possibility. And he's going to tell them that he's still going to lead them there. Even though they've walked away from him. Even though they've turned their back on him. He's still going to do that. And he's going to use this guy. Moses was the guy who kind of was the, the mouthpiece to declare all this and lead them first out of their first round of captivity. And then when they're in the middle of this desert going, is there any life left? Is there something left to do? God's going to use kind of Moses' apprentice, a guy named Joshua, a really good name. And Joshua's going to show up and he's going to be their warrior king. Literally the name means God saves, Yahweh saves. So Joshua's going to lead them into the land of beautiful possibility. And so the, the book of Joshua is the story of them doing things that really seem absolutely impossible, but are, impo- but, 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 but are possible with God. Absolutely impossible. And they're going to be strange and weird, because he tells them to march around walls to, and then blow some instruments, like that, blow them up, like just play them, right? And then uh, walls are going to come tumble down, and it's going to be like these people are going, that was not even possible. And he's going, no, 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 what seems impossible is possible with God, because God thinks it's Possible And knows it's possible. And so these folks are going to enter into this new land. Now when they get there, there's going to be this challenge. Because God wants to bless them and bless their land. And He wants them to move throughout the whole world and be this beautiful nation that feels the significance of the world and gets to enjoy all the pleasures and all the joy of having a significant life with God. Because nothing can do nothing apart from them, right? But when they get there, they're going, wait, we thought this was gonna be easier, but there's still, still enemies here, these Canaanites. And God basically told Joshua, yeah, you got a clean house. These guys are worshiping other gods. They're worshiping other gods. They are giving their attention and their affection to these, these gods, these little G gods. And all the focus should be on me. Because the only person who can make all this, the only way that any of this goodness and any of this joy, any of this restoration, any of this reconciliation, the only one who can make that possible is me. And so he tells Joshua to do that. And Joshua kind of slowly starts cleaning out. And the Israelites are having some really good times. And then, and then, Joshua dies. That's kind of the end of the book of Joshua and then the next book, which is what we're going to be covering for the next five weeks. The book of Judges starts. You know, a judge isn't what you think it is. It's not a guy with a, you know, a black robe and the wig. A judge in the Bible is a rescuer, a deliverer, like Joshua was. Joshua was someone who delivered them into the promised land. So Joshua was like the perfect image of a judge, but wasn't a judge. And then what we're going to see in the book of, uh, in the book of Judges is these 12 different judges who continue to come and rescue these Israelites, when they lost sight, lost focus, stopped believing that the impossible was possible with God, right? And so what happens is Joshua dies, and then in uh, Judges chapter one, I don't have time to cover it today, um, we kind of see the story of what takes place. So Joshua dies, and God talks to these twelve tribes, these twelve sons and their families, like this is generations later, but kind of the representations, and he says, hey, I need you actually to go clean up your mess, right? And here's kind of the big idea, God wants to take new territory through the Israelites. God wants to take new territory through you. He wants to change our world. He wants to impact your workplace. He wants to change your marriage. But here's the deal. You'll see it in the scriptures. God is more interested right now in taking new territory in you. And then he'll take it through you. Okay? New territory in you. So basically the story is, is God through an angel is telling these guys, Hey, you've got to go take, clean up your homeland. Clean up your neighborhood. Own your mess in this. And what you see in the uh, Judges chapter 1 and if you read it kind of without all this understanding you would have a lot of sympathy for them because they're doing some of it but they're kind of doing it it's kind of like they're kind of partially obedient and if you're a parent you know that partial obedience is still disobedient it's like telling your kids hey I'd like for you to clean your room and then like three weeks later it's still unclean and you go hey I'd like for you to clean your room and they get started see mom I'm working on it see dad it's like oh that's delayed obedience that's still disobedience but then they go and they finally start doing it but you know what they do they take all their junk, and they just shove it in, in corners, and under beds, and under the couch. And the floor is now clean, and they say they've cleaned their room, right? Look, I cleaned the room. Can I go play now? And then you just open the closet, right? And all the stuff falls all over you, and you fall down and hurt yourself, and then scream and yell, and then ask Jesus to change your heart, or whatever that is, right? <laughs> right? And you know, you know when that happens. That, that's not obedience. That's disobedience. And so basically the same things will happen in Judges chapter 1 where uh, they go to these different places to kind of clean them up and instead of actually cleaning them up they kind of make these alliances with these pagan gods and get really interested in their little trinkets and it's just a complicated thing. But over and over again they say things like I can't. We couldn't do this. It wasn't possible to do this. Which you also know if you're a parent I can't is almost always code for I don't want to. Hey, can you take your uh, book bag upstairs? I can. It's so heavy. You carried me all day at school, bro. You know? <laughs> you don't call your daughter bro? I don't know. But. Right? I can't usually means I don't want to. And so basically, Judges chapter one, you see these kind of half hearted places, half discipleship, but they're kind of putting one foot into the, the kingdom world. God, we think it's possible, but we don't really know. And kind of swinging back between the stress free and significant. Oh, we want our lives to matter, but man, that's so much work, right? That's so much work. We want our lives to matter, but that's so much work. So you see that in Judges chapter one. And what's really neat, and when we get to Judges two, that's where we're going to read now. Um, if you've been with us the last four or five weeks, as we're reading through the story of, um, of Jesus' birth, one of the things that happens is kind of the scriptures tell you what happened. And then an angel kind of shows up and gives you the commentary. Right? This is like when your kid tells you, my teacher was so mean to me. They make me do so much. And then you, you're like, oh, poor kid. And then you go and have a conversation with the teacher, with your kid there, Right? And they just kind of look down like this. And you're cussing at them, but you're leaving out the vowels underneath your breath so you feel godly, right? And all that kind of stuff. And you're looking at them, and, right? And all of a sudden you get the different story. You get the story of woe is me, the victim story. And then you get the real story from the other person. This is kind of what that's like. Judges chapter 1, you get the story of what they are saying is happening. And then in the beginning of Judges chapter 2, this angel shows up and goes, let me give you the real commentary, okay? So for five verses, we get some commentary in the angels. And then what happens is Samuel, the writer, that we think is the writer, um, goes back and retells the story of Judges chapter 1 and the, Judges chapter 2. So you're not missing anything. You're just going to get their better perspective of what's happened after Joshua's died. So let me read it to you. Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And this is what it says. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Sorry. That's so funny to me. It says the angel went up from Gilgal to Bakum. We don't know what, well, you'll find out what Baquam is in just a second. Because they're going to tell you why it's named that. But you're like, does the angel, does this angel live in this place called Gilgal? Like, does he hop on his Vespa? Like, how does this work? This angel goes from one town to another. Like, was he just hanging out? Was he, you know, there for the holidays? So it makes sense that they're going to tell you that an angel came from this place. Like, did he walk like? Did he not come from heaven? Like the angels have like little hometowns. Like what does that mean? And this is really important because this is the uh, the second time that name Gilgal shows up in the scriptures. In fact, the first time it shows up is in Joshua chapter five, yeah, yeah, when these um, yeah. one of the last rounds where the Israelites say we want to do something significant. And they go never mind. We want safety. We want security. And they kind of turn their back on God, and that and they get really uh, worried about. Um, what God's going to do to him. Like, what the punishment's going to be. Like, how bad the, the damage's going to be. And God tells Joshua in Joshua chapter 5 that he says that in the same place, he says that I'm going to roll off all that pressure from you. All the pain. By the way, that word Gilgal means rolled. Right? And so literally, this is a reminder in that second. Hey, this isn't the first time that you've gotten it wrong. This isn't the first time you forgot that there was a God that could do the impossible. And yet, I'm still not going to cause you to have the pressure you want. By the way, the way that we know that this story is real in the New Testament is by this rolling of a stone away from the tomb that shows that all the punishment and pain has been covered by Jesus. It's a real beautiful, don't miss that here. And so it says, Gilgal, this angel comes there as a reminder that God is always going to keep his covenant and said, I brought you up out of Egypt, led you into the land, I swore to give to your ancestors. And I said, I'll never break my covenant with you, meaning I will always keep my promises. I will only give you good things. That's what he says. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Meaning, how dare we let uh, uh, people worship gods that cannot fulfill them, sustain them, forgive them, and give them a hope in a future for all eternity. So these folks are literally putting their hope in these false gods who cannot save them. So this isn't just, they're so bad. It's no, they're actually putting all their time and their energy into something that cannot save them. So we've got we to change the altars by which we worship. We've got to point the focus back to the God of all creation. And he says this, Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? You see, this isn't you can't. This is you don't want to. You disobeyed me. So God is showing up to a land, a place where God has given them all sorts of beauty and gifts and life. And they are walking in defiance to God. And the angel says, why have you done this? I'd argue: This is why we do it. Because we forgot about possibility. We forgot that God could actually do the impossible. That's why you bail out on your relationships. That's why you quit praying to God. No shame. This isn't about shame because shame is a terrible motivator. Right? It's because somehow you forgot that God can still do the impossible. Right? That's why we don't pray. Because you don't really think it matters. Right? That's why I don't pray. Because I don't think anything is happening in my conversation with God. I don't see it, therefore it must not be happening. So we forgot that there's a God that does the impossible. And so we just go about our little trinkets. We go focus on the things that we can control and work on, which is work and money and mortgages. But we all know that even those things we can't really control. Right? We're one bad tweet away from a bad economy. Right? this whole retirement that you have could crash. It's been a good year. And I'm not trying to do any fear mongering. It's just the reality is this isn't as good and we aren't as in control as we think we are. But we forgot that the God is the one who does the impossible. And we go, oh, what can we make possible? And then we focus on those things and why have you done this? And I have also said, this is what God says, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you. They'll be there. And their gods will become snares to you those very things that you think are going to make you feel more worth are going to do damage to you. And we experience that. You guys are going, look, I'm not trying to punish you, but if this is the way by which you get clarity, then good. Right? This is why you discipline your children. Not because you want them to hurt, but because you want them to live the life the way that you desire for them and God desires for them. And anything that gets in the way of that, a little bit of pain, for a moment is better than a, an eternity of pain without God, right? So he sets it and snares before them. Verse four When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud. This is bad news. They are not on God's team right now. And they called the place Bakum. Oh there it is. You know why? Because it means weeping. Weeping. There they offered their sacrifices to the Lord. Oh God, please, 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 don't forget us. We're so sorry, man. We've messed it up. I'll go back to church. I'm back at church. I'll do that. You know, all those different, same pattern, same pattern. So now we get the angel in God's perspective. Oh, this is really what happened in Judges chapter 1. And so what's going to happen now is we're going to start back over at what's happening after when Joshua dies, and we're going to walk through it. Now here's what's really beautiful, and this is a long setup, but we've got five weeks to work through this material. What you're going to see is what the Israelites do here is the same thing that we do all the time. And that word possibility is going to matter for the next five weeks. And we're just going to see the cycle that keeps us from being able to have these new years, a better resolution, and just being your best year ever. You're actually going to see what stands in the way of that. And it's going to be the cyclical pattern that we all kind of live in, and I'm going to show it to you, and it'll make sense to you, and we'll work through it for the next four weeks. So I'll just would say, you're not going to get all the puppies and rainbows today. So I need you to come back. And I'm going to need you to give every time, like lots of money. I'm just joking about that, completely joking. See, you, you, trying to get you here. No, I don't really care about that. stuff. But I, I do care about you understanding God's word. Really, really important. And it's not going to all get resolved today, but you'll get a really good picture of what's to come today. So stay with me, okay? So verse 6, here's what it says. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. So Joshua leads them into this land of possibility. And then says, hey, tribes, go find your land go decorate your room, right, this is they're moving into a new house, the kids are going into their own space, it's a really beautiful story, filled with possibility, right, you know what that's like, when you move into a new place and you're dreaming and all that kind of stuff, and then you're there five months from now, and now all the boxes are still on the floor, and you're like, just forget it, throw it away, right, this is where they are, they're coming into this beautiful land, they're really excited, so you dismiss them each their own inheritance, this is your room, this is your space, that's your land, those are your acres, filled with possibility, you can feel it, right. Uh, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. Oh, they stayed focused. They had guardrails. Joshua was like, you could dream. I'll keep you focused, right? Throughout um, uh, the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. That's old. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timoth Harry's in the hill, hill country of Ephraim and, uh, north of Mount Dash, so, uh, uh, Just so you get a picture of where that is. And so, Joshua now dies. So what's going to happen? Like this, verse 10. After that, oh, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Uh, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. That word knew doesn't mean like didn't know of it, just didn't have the understanding and the experience of what had happened. They had lost sight of a God who did the impossible, who freed them from captivity, did the ten plagues, like opened up the Red Sea, and then opened up the Jordan River, then brought down the walls of Jericho. These folks just did not know it. And they just lived in the land of what they thought was possible, not what God thought was possible, right? Which is, by the way, just kind of the progression for all this, right? It goes from usually uh, we're committed, excited, So then we become complacent. And then when you get to a place of complacency, what almost always happens next is compromise. Watch it in a marriage. Watch it in a workplace. Watch it with your family. Watch it in the disengagement with your children. You're committed. Then you become complacent. And then all of a sudden, you you see the compromise. And so you see this happen. You go, why do they do that? Why do they do that? Watch what happens next, verse 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord... And serve the Baals. See, this is this is profound. Because when we think about evil, we think about egregious or heinous acts, murder, molestation, horrific things, right? You see what God called evil? It's really interesting. They served the Baals. That word Baals is the Canaan word for uh, Lord or God. They literally turned their focus to trinkets that could not save them. That's what God calls evil. That's what God calls evil. When we put our focus on things that we can control and manipulate, and we think in that land of possibility, we lose sight of a God who does the impossible, and just focus on these tiny things like our work, our resume, our bank accounts. uh, Hear me. If you're brand new to church, I don't want you to feel any shame in this. But hey, for those of us who believe Christ as Lord, this is a place that he goes, there's no room for other lords here. And by the way, if you want to live in this land of possibility... Those things don't get to live with you. They don't. They're a distraction and they do damage. And as he said earlier, those are snares. They are the things that are causing pain and suffering and anxiety in your world, right? And so what you see here is you see that they said, look, there was a whole generation. Once they died off, all of a sudden folks lost focus. You know, this happens a lot. By the way, you can look to the 1600s, New England. You can see a generation of folks and they had their issues. They had their legalism who were committed and saw a possibility of what a nation could look like that loved and served the Lord and loved and served each other. And then you can look at these great awakenings and great revivals that happened before this nation is even a country and the gospel was just pervading every part of the world. Even like, even with the brokenness of our nation, with slavery and all that stuff, God was doing great things, even in, even in churches led by slaves, right? Like the Lord was doing amazing things in this broken world. And children are being raised going, no, no, we believe that there is a God. And You go, well, What happens? Well, what happened? Well, you know, it's interesting. A hundred years later, there's kind of this new revival. You can look at it, read it. and um, People like John Wesley, George Whitfield, big one. And what's interesting, and just for, for uh, kind of context, is um, what happened then is these new revivalists were coming in, and they were preaching this gospel of reconciliation and restoration and repentance and Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And they were offering people this real hope of a possibility of really good things. Right? And what was happening seemed a little bit emotional to a lot of the, you know, the, the men of the cloth, the Presbyterian ministers who said, no, this is how church should work. Here's how the liturgy should happen. No, it fits in this box in this way. And uh, George Wiffle was bringing this thing where this Holy Spirit was showing up. And, and what was happening, a lot of pastors were like, we don't think that could be God because we can't explain it. By the way, um,. Our church was founded in 1726. Francis Allison, the third pastor, founded the University of Delaware. Um, Francis Allison was a Presbyterian pastor who said, no, 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 we don't think that's God because we can't explain it. He actually created a school to help people here learn how to read, understand the classics. Uh, Four Declaration of Independence Signers were in the first class. That's our church. That's New London Academy becomes University of Delaware. But one of the primary reasons that school was created was to be part of the old side of the Presbyterian denomination. Meaning there became this schism as a result of this Holy Spirit movement in in, in the U.S. And they believed that the Holy Spirit was doing crazy things. And Francis Allison and other ministers in this area go, oh, we can't explain it so it can't be God. So they created this old side. By the way, it's so beautiful, uh, years later he repents of it. He asks for forgiveness. He helps join back the Presbyterian and he leaves his, uh, he frees his slaves in, in, in his will. Like does some amazing things. But our church is part of the history that says, no, 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 we can't explain it so therefore it must not be God. Let me offer you something. I actually think it should be the opposite. If we can explain it it's probably not God. You hear me? If we can explain it, if we can tell you how the growth happens, if we can tell you how all this stuff happens, if we can explain it, then it's probably not God doing it, it's probably us doing it, which scares me to death. When other churches call and say, hey, tell me about Wednesday nights, tell me what you're doing <laughs> with small groups, it's like it's really good to talk about the Bible and the prescriptive stuff in it. But if we can explain it, it's probably not God, it's us. Right? And so we got backwards on that. And so these people are going, no, 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 we don't we just stay out of the land of unexplainable. And instead, let's just uh, work on what we know is possible, what we can focus on, no, no, we don't need a supernatural God. We have our own water systems, we have our own irrigation, we have indoor plumbing. Right? We have electricity. We don't need a God to bring His supernatural power. We got We don't need this God that's inexplainable. And so we see, as a nation of people, Israelites go, "Yeah, we don't really need a God." And so instead, they started to focus on their own little trinkets. Now, watch this, verse twelve. They forsook the Lord. Turned his, their back on God, the God of their ancestors, the God of all creation, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and Ashtoreths. So, I want to just point this out to you, really, really important. will not take me long. There's actually this nice little pattern that happens with the Israelites, happens for us. And uh, for the next five weeks, we will really, really look into this. So, I, don't, I just want you to see it today. Ah, oh, here we go. I won't write on this either, I promise. We're a really fancy church. I spent 15 bucks on building this thing. Okay, here we go. Got ourselves a prize wheel. Okay? So here's how it works. Let me show you. So what happens is, see it for Joshua, see it for the Israelites, see it for all these people. God leads Joshua with his people into the promised land, and guess what that land was? It was flowing with all sorts of possibility. 2020, filled with possibility. You're excited. What if God really could do the impossible? Like, what if that's actually possible? What does God think is possible for you this year, in this decade? That sounds great. What if He could heal your marriage? What if He could get you out of bankruptcy and lead you into a promised land? What if He could save you from that addiction? Bring your kids back, filled with possibility? We like those. Joshua leads these folks into the possibility. Ooh, I want this land. I want that room. Everything's really good. Right? And then, and then, and then months go by, years go by, weeks go by, days go by. We we're going, we thought God was going to move a little faster. No, we thought what God was going to make possible this year was he was going to give me this. He didn't give me this. We thought God was going to make my life easier. He didn't make it any easier. So what happens is they go, you know what? We go. We don't really like God's plan that much anymore. God, it's kind of a buzzkill. I mean, he didn't move in the way he wanted to. And so what we do, what the Israelites did, is they moved into a place of rebellion. By the way, that's exactly what happens in the garden. So they go, you know, uh, we like our plan better than God's. That's it. That's so what we do. We get excited about the land of possibility. And we go, no, we don't think that's possible anymore. So let's take back the reins. Right? I'll do it. We do it. We'll do it today. Let's take back the reins. And guess what it says happens here? Every single time. So messed up. God gets angry. God gets angry. He gets angry. Do <laughs> you want to make God mad? I wouldn't recommend it. The God of the universe who speaks the whole world into existence. I would, he'd not be someone I would want to make mad. Now it's not because he's mean and he's going like to beat you over the head. In fact, watch what happens. This is so real interesting. Watch what happens when God gets angry. Okay? He got angry. They said, we like our plan better than yours. God gets angry. What does God do in his anger? Verse 14. In his anger against, each, against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to, you see that word? Jesus. Resist. Not defend against, resist. Resist. You know what you resist? Dessert after dinner. You know what you resist? Looking at your ex's Facebook page. Right? You know what you resist? Saying that piece of gossip. It's the things you want to say or do that you think you shouldn't do. You see this. They resist it. Here's what happens when God gets angry. He doesn't beat you over the head. In fact, in Romans 1, it tells you what happens when people get so messy and broken. It says that God turns them over to their desires. So, God's anger, you know what He does? He gives you what you want. It's okay. You don't want me as your God? You don't want my provision? You don't want my protection? You don't want my comfort? Don't want my security? Don't want my relationship? Boy, doesn't make him angry. Okay. You've had to do that with your kids. And boy, doesn't make you angry. You've had kids who you see them with whatever that drug of choice is. And you go, oh, gosh, I don't want you to do that. But I can't stop you. Fine, fine, fine. Not in my house. Not paying for it. Right? And in deep anger and pain, you just go, okay, Lord, please, please, please. So God turns them over in their anger. And his anger, he just... He allows them to chase after they want. By the way, that's what Tim Keller calls hell. Really good definition. God doesn't send people to hell. But if you spend your whole life saying, I want nothing to do with you, God, guess what? Eventually, we'll get your wish. And so he, in his anger, he turns them over. And guess what happens for him? I mean, this makes sense to us. Makes a lot of sense to us. They're going to feel some pain. Right? That's what happens in our anger. Feel pain. So watch what happens next. Verse 15. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. And they were in great distress. See, this is our pattern too. God, we're filled with possibility. We really, really want. God, would you do something great? Okay, no mind. You didn't do it the way you wanted to. Didn't fix the marriage. Didn't do it in the way that I desired for you to do it. Never mind. I'll take back the reins. I'll go do that job instead. I'll focus on that instead. I'll log into that website instead. Whatever. It's fine. You didn't do it in the way I wanted you to. In the way that I thought you should. In the time that I think you should. So you go, I'll just do my own thing. And God goes, oh. Why do you keep turning to that thing that's going to cause you damage? But fine, fine, fine. If that's what you need, if that's the thing you think is going to fulfill you, here, it's all yours. And then we take the drink. Log into the site. Say those things. And for a second, oh, doesn't it feel so good? Ah, oh, finally, that's it. The thing that we thought would make us feel worth. Maybe it takes to the next morning. Maybe it takes to the next minute. But that very thing you thought would give you worth makes you feel worthless. Pain. No? uh Dave Ramsey, John Towns, and others say people only change when the pain of the same is greater than the pain of the change. So God leverages this mechanism of pain and deep sorrow, right? That's why some of you are really, really working on your marriage now. Because it it's so painful. So that's why some of you are really finally going, okay, I've got to f- fix my finances, right? By the way, Dave Ramsey says people ain't change and the pain of the same gets greater than the pain of the change. He leads people through getting out of debt so that the church can be more generous, right? And we'll, we'll help you with that. This month, in a couple of weeks, there's a, I think a preview class coming right up. You can check it out on the calendar online that we're actually going to be offering Financial Peace University, right? Because some of you have that pain. Pain of the same, greater than the pain of the change. You cannot pay your mortgage. That's painful. Let's help you get out of that, right? So make some adjustments. So what happens? They feel this real pain. So they were in great distress. And they cry out to God. Right? And so what happens when you cry out to God? What does that look like? When you acknowledge that your pain is greater than you desired? When you want something different in your life? When you're changing the way you think and therefore changing your behavior? That's just called repentance. Right? This is just a cycle for all of us. We admit that we're in pain. God, 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 would you please fix whatever the problem is? Watch what happens. They're in great distress see what happens next then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders God we're in pain please 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 please. we can't fix it there is nothing possible that we can do God would you please do the impossible God would raise up a judge this isn't like I mean this is like a warrior king like Joshua and they would receive that salvation and guess what happened when they get that salvation they would open up infinite possibilities guys The Bible tells us that God's mercies are new every single morning. New start. Fresh start. You wake up and everything again is possible. Now you would think, ah, they did it! They did it! What you're going to see over the next four weeks is 12 different judges. Same story. Watch what it says. Verse 17. yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. Thanks for saving us. We're glad to get out of there. No, we're going back to our ways. Right? They prostituted themselves to other gods and worship them. They quickly turn from the ways of their ancestors, but obedient to the Lord's commands. They go, okay, we're good. We're good, God. We got it from here. And the cycle keeps going. Okay, God, save us, save us, save us. Okay, good. We have salvation. You got us out of that problem. You fixed that thing. You got me the job. Okay, we got it from here, God. We don't need anything else. We got it from here. And the cycle goes on. And on and on. And frankly, it's got to get pretty exhausting. Right? So watch what happens. (coughs) Whenever the Lord would raise up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies, as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refuse to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. I don't know guys, but for you, I'd like to break this cycle. I'd like to break it to my kids. I have an example of what that looks like. I'd like to break it so that our world can be better. I'd like to break it so that our community can be better. I'd like to break it so that people can actually live in the freedom that God created for them. I'd like for you to break it so that you can actually enjoy 2020. Like to really go, no, 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 no. I'm going to live in the land of possibility. God says all things are possible. What does God And I'm going to live in that land this year and not walk down any other path. I'm just going to live in the land of possibility. What does that take? But this pattern keeps happening. Watch therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and said because the nation had violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to them I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did so the pain the enticement the temptation is not going away God is saying hey it's going to be there forever forever And you're going to have to choose whether or not you want to live in a land where God makes all things possible. A land flowing with all sorts of possibilities. Or you can live in the land of rebellion because it will always be there. You will always have access to it. Now it's on your phone. But you will always have access to these things. Do you want to live in that land following these trinkets? Or do you want to live in a land where God doesn't turn you over to your desires, but you get to enjoy the possibilities of what God has for you? The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. So they're there. So you go, okay, what do we do? How do we break the cycle? by the way, I told you no bows today. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a glimpse of one, okay? So how do we break the cycle? Keep coming back. We're going to figure it out. But what's interesting is... Uh, 12 Judges you're going to read over the next couple of weeks. And then we see this beautiful story of Ruth. So, man, so good. But what you see for the next couple thousand years... Is this is the same cycle. Over and over again. Different nation... Or different uh, generation. Same exact thing. To the point where he wrecks the nation. Wrecks the people. Wrecks the families. Wrecks all the people. And then finally you get a couple thousand years later. And there are these Israelites going... We want to live in the land of possibility. We want to live there. But God, you just seem so absent. And then he gets even quieter. He was sending these prophets in to say hey, repent, change the way you think because there's a better world. Then all of a sudden he goes quiet. Get to the end of what's the Torah of the Old Testament and it just seems like God's dark. And these Israelites are trying to figure out if they just chase after the Roman government, chase after politics, do whatever they can to figure out how to maintain. And Then we get to the turn of a new millennium 2,000 years ago, Right? there's these Israelites and all they want at this point is they understand they're captive and these judges have kept saving them from nations and they are under the oppression of a new nation Rome they just want it out and God shows up and he tells us you know the story of Christmas that he's going to do what's impossible he's going to send himself as a savior to be born to a virgin and when that news comes out one of the first people who are going to get that news is a little Israeli boy or man teenager, maybe in his 20s, a guy named Joseph. He's going to hear this story because his fiance is going to be the one that's going to be the the incubator for this whole story. Right? His wife, Mary. His wife-to-be. And she's going to tell him the story. You know what he's going to say? That's not possible. That's just not possible. Like That doesn't happen. That is impossible. You're right. Good statement there, Joseph. For what's impossible to us is not impossible to God. That's impossible. So he goes, I think I'm going to make my own plan you know what he already decides he's going to do? He's going to divorce her. He's going to take the matters in his own hands because that seems like the most plausible and possible thing to do. And I want you to read that story real quick. Just a couple of verses. Matthew chapter 1. Here's what it says. This is verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That doesn't make sense. That is inexplainable. Nope, can't, that can't be God because we can't explain that. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. By the way, some of our rebellion is just our own arrogance of thinking we have a better plan than God's. He's not trying to do something bad. He's actually trying to be honoring. But, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord, oh, there's another angel, pay attention here, uh, appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph! Son of David, remember this is your lineage. And they've been going, we need a savior. We need another judge. But we don't need one of the judges like the last one. We need a perfect judge like Joshua was. He's the one who gave us a long time of good prosperity. We need someone like that to show back up. God, where's that going to come from? And this angel showed up and said, son of David. I mean, he knows this story. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived from her is from the Holy Spirit. God, I can't understand that. It doesn't make any sense. She will give birth to a son. And you're to give him a name. The name Jesus. Now, that's really confusing us because that's Greek. Joseph would not have heard the name Jesus. He would have heard the Hebrew name for Jesus. Which is Yeshua. This... Judge. Perfect judge. Before any other judge. This warrior king, this deliverer. He, you're going to give him a name, Jesus. You're going to give him the name, Joshua. Because he's going to be the perfect one. And he's going to lead people out of, out of captivity, out of slavery, out of bondage, into this land filled with possibility and freedom. And Joshua's going, okay, okay, is that, what does that mean? Does that mean that he's going to save us from Rome? Like they say, we're saved from the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Ananites and the Dunedites, whatever the are, right? He's going to save us from all them. Right, that's what the nations have done. He's he saved us from those nations. Is that what he's gonna do now? He's gonna save us from the Romans. Now watch what he says here. Give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Wait, wait, I thought he's gonna save us from oppression. Oh he's gonna. I thought he's gonna save us from the nation. No, no, no. You know what he's gonna save you from? He's gonna save you from yourself. He's going to reach in and save you from your own brokenness and not turn you over to your own sinful desires. He's literally going to take away those things. So is it possible that God of the universe can actually free you from your sin? So The story of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't show up and save our nation. He shows up and saves his children who then bring the kingdoms to the nations. Brings the kingdoms to the nations, right? So that's a really good story, really, really cute. And we'll have to wrap it up for the next couple of weeks. But Imagine uh, jo- Josh, uh, Joseph was a little suspicious for a second. Like, are you sure that's true? God, is that really possible? i not really sure that can happen. And then uh, Jesus grows up, becomes a man, does some really miraculous things. They're going, well, he's doing some pretty impossible things. Maybe he's worth trusting, right? And then uh, he, uh, he uh, is about to die. And so he's been doing ministry for a while. And he stops and he pauses for a second. And he talks to his disciples. And he says something really beautiful. And he's uh, in this what we call the last supper it's this moment of communion that we're about to partake together and so the band will come up in just a second and the ushers will lead us in this but it's a beautiful story where he, um, <laughs> he takes this bread and he goes remember uh, the, the perfect judge doesn't save you from a nation he saves you from yourself he says I not you see this this is my body and he breaks it he says broken for you see what he's doing here remember what happens when God gets angry what we feel Pain. Jesus goes no, 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 I don't want you to feel the pain. I'm going to feel it on your behalf. This is my body broken for you. You see, God's going to be angry. God's going to be angry at the wrath of the world. But I, I am going to actually take the pain of that. And he says, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes some wine. This is juice for us here, guys. And he um, kind of pours out. And he says, this is my blood. This is my blood. Pour it out for you. Pour it out for you. In other words, I'm the covering for all your sin. I came to free you from all your sin from all your captivity and here's what I want you to do I want you to take this bread drink this cup I want you to consume it let it come into you come into you come into you because what was impossible is now possible like the God of the universe can come into you and start slowly like the way that that Joshua was supposed to lead the Israelites through that land and every single part of that land every single part of that territory is supposed to be taken over I want you to take this cup I want you to drink this cup because what's going to happen is I want you to believe it's possible that I could come into your life and slowly starting taking territory in every part of you. Because I want to take new territory in you, and then I'm gonna take new territory through you. And I can imagine they were a little suspicious, going, Is that true? Is that really gonna happen? And I don't know if we can trust that. Like, can we trust that? Is that true? Is that true? Right? And a couple of days later he dies. And they're going, It's not really possible. Peter goes back to fishing. He goes, No, no, no. He curses people out and goes, No no, he goes back to his own life. Goes back to his own life. And he goes, No, it's not possible. But then some of the one of the craziest things happen. This stone rolls away a couple days later and the tomb is empty. And God goes, What well, you thought was impossible is impossible is possible, right? He goes, No, no, there's a land filled of possibility. Here's why. Here's why. I was put into a grave. But to prove everything I say, to prove that you could trust me, to prove that I actually came to take away the sins of the world and your sins. Actually prove that I was God by not staying in the grave but come back to life. Which, guess what that means? That means the resurrection is actually possible and plausible and real because what seemed impossible now is possible. And if that's possible for me, that's also possible for you. Meaning the story of the resurrection of the God of the universe came back to life and then gives us that same spirit, that same power that conquers the grave. It now can indwell in us you're like, I oh, don't make any sense. I don't understand. It's unexplainable. Perfect! That's where God lives. In the inexplainable. And that spirit can come into our lives. And that resurrection power can come into us. And it can slowly start changing every part of us. So that sin that used to damage you and cause you pain and sorrow, you can say to it one day and we'll get there. Sin, you're not my master. He said, a new master and his name is Jesus. And he brought the power of the resurrection to live in me. That where there was no way, he's made a way. And so when we think about communion, we're thinking about... Ingesting and inviting that story and that power and that truth actually into us. So you go, so what's going to happen is we're going to sing this song and we're going to give you the opportunity to take this bread. Jesus took our pain and dip it into the the, the juice. Jesus covers us with his blood. We're going to get to ingest it into our life and go, God, we want to believe that's possible. We we'll believe that's possible. So one of the questions that happens is, well, can I do that? Can I actually come to communion What's, what's the prerequisites? I go, here's the thing. You can come do this if you've never sinned. It's a joke, probably a really heavy moment not to say that right now. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, here's what it is. You can come do this if you believe it's actually possible. If you believe this is actually possible. That the God of the universe loved you so much that he would give up his own life as a ransom for many. He says, he who knew no sin became sin, became God's anger, became God's pain so that we could be made right before God. So if you want to believe in that possibility, this table is open for you. So I'm going to pray, if ushers, if you come forward and prepare. never done this before, just watch people in front of you. If, you don't, if this makes you uncomfortable, you can stay at your seat. But um, if you'll come forward as we pray. Jesus, I actually believe that you made a way where there was no way. You made a way where there was no way. And so God would, um, would we believe in that possibility this year? Would we believe in the hope that what we believe is impossible is perfectly possible with you? And when we start asking the question, God... What do you think is possible for us this year? And we live in the confidence of knowing that what you think is possible is that you will make a way in our lives and our souls, in our marriages, in our workplaces where there seemed to be no way. we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.